When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 160, recording on Thursday, June 9th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Amanda, welcome back to the show. Hello. Uh, man, if you don't know, is the regular co-host of our Get Booked Podcast recommendation show. So if you haven't checked that out, you should. Um, they will if you write in. Uh, they'll pick. Are you getting how? Like, what's your ratio of like submitted recommendation requests to things you actually can get to? Is it pretty good? Do people have a shot? Is it like the Hamilton lottery? What's the problem? What's it is. Ex- it's closer to the Hamilton lottery. Oh no! Than, okay. And <laughs> not. Um, but if you do have something that's time sensitive, it's more likely to make it on because we do try to answer those. You know, within the whatever time frame. Um, but if it's not time sensitive, it might be it might be a minute. But we will get to it. We have vowed you will to get answer to every okay. question. So it unlike the Hamilton be. lottery, you will get one at some point. <laughs> it just might be in uh, summer twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. And like Lin Manuel Miranda will will no longer be in the cast. When you finally get <laughs> yeah. um, also, just as a rem- sort of as a related reminder, we're looking for reader input for the be- your favorite books of the year so far. Um, you can email us at podcastbookride.com. Leave comments in the show notes to one of these episodes. I'll be looking at them. Um, go to bookride.com slash listen. You can get to the right episode there. Don't tweet at us because those get lost. Um, I mean, you can, but <clears throat> please do if you, that's I don't for some reason you're, that's the only mechanism to get at us. But the chances of me um, or Rebecca actually collecting those and putting them in the right to receptacle is relatively low. So podcast at bookride.com is the easiest way for us to make sure you get those. Got some already. Um, some titles I'm familiar with and some I'm not, which is just kind of what I'm looking for um, right away. One other thing is we I said last time that N.K. Jemison um, was going to be a inter sort of interlude between episodes. I was sick. I got strep throat last weekend. So I had to postpone that interview, trying to get her back on some other time. Um, so I'm sorry to promise that. Uh, or not promise. Well, I guess I sort of. Pro- I said it was going mm-hmm. to happen. That's a promise. Um, got too excited. Should have just had dropped it in the feed. But you know, lesson learned. Um, hope to get her on. But we're gonna have some other people on in the coming weeks and months. So if you are wondering what happened to that, that's what happened. Bacterial infection for the win. Um, <laughs> let's do our first sponsor before we get into. We got we we've got big stories this week. So we got to get all yeah. this stuff out of my system. Um, do it. Uh, so the first this first sponsor, Penguin Random House Audio is back now. It's it is. Prime road trip season. Um, get in your uh, wood paneled 1978 <laughs> Pontiac Parisienne and, mm. and strike out to a campsite for a trip that almost no one in your family will enjoy. It's that time of year. <laughs> Did you do that stuff as a kid? Did you guys take oh, road trips? Every summer. We took a three hour round trip, uh, road trip to a campsite. I, we drove three hours to sit in the woods. It yeah. was miserable. <laughs> yeah. We, um, I grew up in Kansas, and it, three hours doesn't get you anywhere. You, don't, you can't even get to Wichita from Lawrence. <laughs> so our road trips were 9, 10, 12 hours long. No. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. To the north shore of um, uh, Lake Michigan uh, or to get somewhere to Texas or to get to the mountains in Colorado. Um, five hours would get you to St. Louis. So we did that a lot. An eight-hour drive would get you to Chicago. We spent a lot of time. 
together in the family car. And in fact, the first audiobook I ever listened to is on one of those car trips. My dad got um, The Dragon Weavers of Pern, believe it or not. Do you know those wow. books? Um, sci-fi, I guess, fantasy. Uh, we yeah, listened Anne to McCaffrey. Them. Anne McCaffrey, yeah. Uh, I mean, lots of people love them. I have no idea how I picked it out, but that's what he did, and we listened to it. And it got us all the way to Denver one time. Of course, we had nine hours of silence on the way back when we were done. With <laughs> um, but that's what that's what tryoutobooks.com is saying. Go to tryoutobooks.com slash family travel, family hyphen travel, for a free download to start listening with the whole family on your next car ride. Um, they've got suggestions. A lot of good titles there. You know, one, some of it depends on the age. If you've got teenagers, kind of... Sometimes they can take care of themselves, they cannot. They're, they're suggesting Ready Player One. That's a, not a bad idea, I have to say. That's a nice idea from them for teenagers. If you've got kids that are like in the 10, 11, 12, 13 range um, and like sci-fi, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is great on audio. Um, I listened – I think I read that in the back of our conversion band. You remember conversion bands? Do you, you know what I'm talking about? They don't – I don't think they make these anymore. They're vans that they basically turned into living rooms. They have like curtains in them and like – you know, they they uh, they have ours had this third row of seating that had this uh, like electric button you would press it would fold down flat into like a bed. We had a TV in there um, that we could watch star, uh, VCRs on an extremely small screen forever. But I remember reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and it's like that little trade or mass market paperback mm-hmm. that I got from my uncle in the back of that and barfing because um, I got car sick. Um, but you, audiobooks are a way around that. So go to tryoutobooks.com slash family travel free download. Really a great way. Um, we get a lot. You know, we get a lot of recently um, recommendations for for family. We've gotten a lot of recommendations for things to listen with the whole family. Um, we get those on Twitter. We get them on Facebook all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got some ideas for you. Tryoutbooks.com slash family hyphen travel for a free download and some ideas. Thanks so much. I really for need to try this. I listen to audiobooks in the car, and my kids are five. And yeah. the other day. Rhett, my son, was like, Mommy, this book is boring. I was listening to the originals, which is like a business productivity book <laughs> yes. or whatever. I assumed they were entertaining themselves. And he was yeah, just yeah. like, Mommy, this, this is boring. boring. Yeah, my <laughs> kids it off. My kids will listen for a little while. I have Mary Roach's Grunt on right now, which is A, there's a lot of swearing, and B, they don't have any idea what's going on. But I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if um, – like what we could get into soon. Like at what age will they, you know, be into Ramona Quimby? I'm sure that stuff's on audio. Like yeah. they can follow along a little bit. Um, they certainly follow along with books. Uh, be interesting to know. So go try that out. Thanks for the social concern. Okay. <clears throat> oh, did you hear? Amanda literally cleared her throat. <laughs> Let me. Where <clear laughs> we are in visit. <laughs> so the the big story in the book world this week was um, the launch Lit Hub. Uh, launched a new, I guess, part of their site, it's not a standalone site, called Bookmarks, which is simply stated the Rotten Tomatoes for books. And we'll get to all of the, and we'll get to all of um, Amanda's uh, guttural side eye she just threw right there. Um, that's, what, that's what it is. And they launched it this week. And um, for those of you who don't know what Rotten Tomatoes is, it is a site that's for movies that basically takes reviews of movies assigns them a score, and then takes all those scores and aggregates them to a final score. And they, they have a, the, a further step that Bookmarks is in doing sort of a binary condition of saying it's either rotten or fresh, right? If it's a fresh tomato, that means on the whole, the critical establishment for movies that this movie is basically worth seeing. Um, so it can be 71% fresh. It only needs to be 51% 
positive. Um, and they make all of the ratings, I believe, they rate all the reviews as either positive or negative. They don't get into more detail than I say. Um, and so, and I've used it before a little bit. Um, I tend not to use it because I usually know from a trailer if it's something I'm interested in, all word of mouth, all the other ways we find about cultural things. And But Bookmarks has done this for uh, mostly literary fiction at this point. LitHub itself is uh, uh, overtly focused on literary fiction, so it's no surprise there. What they're doing is they're taking – they're looking at reviews from sort of a finite number of sources, giving each of those reviews a letter grade. So um, one that's on there right now is Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. So they're looking at all the reviews of that th that are sort of pre-approved through their sources. They're looking at – they're giving the reviews for Modern Lovers a grade. Then they're adding those grades together to give it a final grade. Um, and that's it. That's the. Am I missing any of the salient details about what what it is, actually is before we get into what we think about it? Nope. That's it. Um, to be, I, I should also to be fair, this is something I've wondered about existing before. Um, uh, even so far as to you know the things, the bad ideas that burple up to make me think maybe they're not bad ideas. Is this something that Bookwright could have done a while ago? Um, so I'm not sure if that's. I feel like I need to to disclaim that for some reason that I've actually thought about this topic before. Uh, it's and not right, the right fit for us for a variety of reasons, some of which are related to our commentary on it. Um, what's your What's your take? So what, what's your opinion so far? Well, let, before we get into the, <laughs> let, let's let's can we do this before we get into the execution? <clears throat> let's say someone had just said that to you. Like, there's listeners right now that have no idea what it is at this point. And before we get into the actual execution of how it works, what do you think of that as an idea? before we get into the actual thing that it became? I would be hesitantly fine with it. Okay. Like, I don't think I would find it personally useful because I get most of my book recommendations from people that I, I know, like, personally, like right. word of mouth. Um, but if if there are people out there who are interested in, you know, re, in, like, books that are reviewed sure. and want to know, they're, they're, sure, fine, okay. That I mean, like, I have no fundamental issue. So the, 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 so the, the aggregation thing and the giving things scores and a grade on, on the surface oh, level. Well, no, I don't, I don't like, I, okay. I, I, this is like, I'm just gonna, this is rabbit holy. Um, yeah, I know it's, I, I don't know if that's fair. I just wondered if we could like evaluate that. A place that's not like a centralized place to find reviews of like nothing but book reviews of new releases. Mm -hmm. I feel like somebody out there is going to find that useful, but the way that they do it is so awful that like, Right. It's so like, if there was a page for Modern Lovers reviews and there was no scores attributed to them, but like you wanted to know what people thought of Modern Lovers and you would, could go to that page and you could look at the Times and Washington Post Book World. Yeah, and, and this is called like Goodreads, so. Well, it's not though, right? No, and this is my problem. Yeah, I mean it is saying that there is a – and I'm trying to be very neutral in terms of even how to say – <laughs> it is a different value than yes. Goodreads value, right? That there's a different value to looking at the reviews of traditional news paper. I mean, really this we're talking, I mean, tradition, more traditional outlets. Um, I don't have the full list of, they, they don't pull exclusively from print, but like if a book has a New York Times, a Washington Post and a Wall Street Journal review, those are going to be aggregated by, I mean, there's just no question that, that they're going to use those sources. So that, that is, seems interesting to me. I guess I guess one thing I was wondering about is is it if you really want to know if like I've got a computer I've got my phone I got my laptop and I want to Google Modern Lovers Modern Lovers New York Times review I'm gonna get it right I mean I guess search engines are so good and I know what if I know what the review outlets are I'm just trying to wonder like who's gonna who really cares enough about the reviews that they're not gonna care enough to Google it but they're gonna care enough to go to this site and look at it does that make sense like I guess is there an, are you removing enough friction 
to make people use it. I'm just not sure um, about no. that. No. <laughs> because Goodreads, I mean, Goodreads, for say what you will, you're getting information at Goodreads you can't get other places. It's not aggregating them. Like, people are submitting those to Goodreads that way. Well, the point, the entire point of this is to shore up traditional literary criticism. And the yes. reason why it needs shoring up is because no one no cares. One, that, now, now we're getting more into the sort of the philosophy, the philosophy of th- why they're saying they're – because they're not really – it's interesting. It seems like in their rationale, they're not really thinking of as solving a reader problem, right? They're not really thinking, um, no, boy, this no, would be a great thing for – Yeah, they're solving a problem like, boy, literary – um, it's not even literary criticism necessarily. It's, it's reviews, you know, mass market. They use the two. They use the terms interchangeably. Yeah. See, see, I'm a I'm a lapsed academic, so that bothers me. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. bothers me too. But yeah. I mean, like, I get what they're. I get. What uh, yeah, they're I get. Saying. But there's a difference between what appears in the M, the MLA in American literature than what appears in the New York Times. I mean, I guess it, it matters. Um, these are review book reviews from traditional outlets, um, and I, I I think we sort of know. Uh, there's no better, I guess, example that people don't care as much. Is that those are things are going away, right? That 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 whole genre is shrinking um, for a, for a million different reasons. Um, now that's not to say there's not a void to fill because we don't have a company here. If there's not people interested in books that you know aren't on in newspapers and things like that, but the question is like, where there's a, was there a large clamoring for people it's like you know I I really want to read book reviews of um, End of Watch by Stephen King, but boy I don't know where to find them. That's not what that problem is trying to solve here. Um, they're trying to make no, a product, I like, think. No, it's it's uh, foundational to what I think LitHub is trying to do. You know, it's like it's publisher backed. It's staffed yeah. by a bunch of literary critics. Some, I mean, some of whom I I really like and I read their work and I read LitHub and I have no like mm-hmm. issue with it. But like, it exists to make to try and make people care about white tower literary fiction literary like with fiction. capital L capital F right exactly yeah. and about a gatekeeper version mm-hmm. of reviewing where someone who knows more about books than you tells you what books are worth putatively your does. time right. um, which I fundamentally do not like right like, I mean so we're, like- we're 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 <laughs> both you and I both by nature I think but also because what we do and what our site is are sort of philosophically opposed to this way of them. everything it represents. We're, we're, we're very, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that we're biased necessarily, but our value system is different than no, what man, they care No, man, that is like, they do great interviews. They, yeah. really, they cover really interesting, like a lot of small press stuff and books and translation. Mm-hmm. And, and like LitHub, awesome. But this is, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's some, of the, it's some of the less, I don't know. I guess the the parts I don't like about LitHub are this is the best manifestation of it. Like this is like a, a you know a flowering of that gatekeepery literary fiction is a special flower thing. It feels so regressive to me. Yeah. The reason why these traditional newspaper print book review sections are going away is because the internet has democratized book reviewing right. in a way that women and people of color and you know marginalized communities have found life-saving and infinitely mm. useful and to go back to those publications and try to make people care about them again when they haven't changed anything about what they do really mm-hmm. feels like a, like a, I don't know. It just feels, first of all, it feels very condescending, but it also feels kind of like a slap in the face to people who've yeah. been working really hard to make books a space where 
there where there's a diversity of stories and a diversity of yeah, authors. And that's a good way of putting it. It does feel like a circling of the wagons. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I kind of use that colonialist metaphor intentionally, I have to say, you know, because the people, the people you're circling against are not the white settlers. I mean, I, there's a part of it that does feel like that because what it does too is it further gatekeeps. Like it's another level of gatekeeps because not only not only do you have to have a book out. Um, it also has to be reviewed in the right genre, in the right outlets. Like it's just another, it's another, it's, it's a couple more layers of filter mm-hmm. that, you know, and the things that happen when you filter like that is people who don't fit the dominant model of acceptable whatever get screened out. Some, another percentage of them get screened out each layer that you add. Um, I mean, we we already know. I mean, you can look at the Vita numbers and see that it's mostly men who get yeah. reviewed. And, and it's mostly men doing the reviewing. Yes. And you can look at, like, Roxane Gay a couple years ago did a, a count of the racial diversity of the New York Times book review. And it mm-hmm. was, like, something like 90% white people. So there's – when you when you're taking – when you're aggregating an already heavily biased system, yeah, what you're going to get is an is a biased aggregate, which is not helpful to anyone. Right. It doesn't. It, you're totally right. And the further thing it does is that it sort of hides the subjectivity of that, right? It's kind of like the SATs, where you get a score and that sort of feels objective, right? Because you get an X number on a thing, and that feels like science and math, and it can't be wrong. But we all also know all the subjectivity and all the biases and all the things that go in to make that score just a number. But it actually does it by erasing all the complexity that goes into how that number even gets to be something that people care about. It lends it authority that it doesn't deserve um, and weight that is not just – I think it's not just empty. It's misleading um, to do it that way because you look at – you know, it, yeah, it's just all the layers that, that we've worked hard, I think, as sort of a bookish culture to expose are all covered up again all of a sudden. Yeah. And you have, and in, to get into bookmarks, the book has to be covered in at least three of these publications. Yeah. And that's just even more like for, for a book by a woman or a person of color to get reviewed in the New York Times at all is right. enough of a feat. But to get reviewed in the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal is like... You know, I don't know. It's just it's just turtles of bad all yeah, the way down. Right. And, yeah, turtles. And they of, seem to be completely and you know, I pointed this out. No, it was it was Jen, Jen from Minorities in Publishing, mm-hmm. pointed out all of these issues to them on Twitter and their response was, Well, tell us more diverse sources. Like they wanted her to go do the work for them to fix it when it's like just fundamentally a flawed thing that you're trying to do. Yeah, and I don't I mean, I don't know how um I don't know how you get around that. Because you're really at the top level, right? Aggregation is a top level enterprise. It's a top level task. And so you can't get down and do things like try to get around. So, I mean, one thing that like um, minorities in publishing is a good example, they try to get around the, the structures by having their own Twitter feed and their own coverage and their own blog. And like they sort of, you make an end around this, the existing structure, right? Well, this is just like, codifying and coalescing and reifying that existing structure that's so problematic. It's a monument to the status quo, which is everything that I work pretty much eight yeah, hours a day right, to destroy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. It, it's know. hard to, only, go ahead. The only way that they could less make this less bad is to expand um, the sources that they're using beyond just the traditional, you know, like right. gatekeeper But that, 
is the opposite of what they want, right? They, I mean, like, yeah, they said to, Ron Charles from the Washington Post didn't like this initially, and he was talking with them on Twitter, and, and their response was basically, "We're trying to get people to care about real literary criticism again, or important literary journalism, yeah. which excludes the interesting and marginalized, and you know, um, better in my opinion, stuff that that bloggers are doing and that people on the internet are doing." And so, if they refuse to include those voices, they're automatically going to end up with something bad and they do refuse to because it's that's not what they value so yeah and part of their discourse is about sort of highlighting the work that reviewers do um which okay i mean i guess <laughs> it's been so long since i've cared about a review and a publication that anyone's heard about really you know <laughs> that i just i guess i just don't care it doesn't seem like the way forward to me in any way i mean even if it's not actively regressive which it might be um, it feels like it just feels like an old idea um, of how books can work and layering upon sort of web technology and aggregation on top of an old idea, you know, this old idea of reifying the value of book reviews. I think the thing the thing that's brought home to me is I've thought about it, we've thought about it a lot in the book riot back channels too, um, a lot of interesting thinking going on there. Is Ooh. that um, it just the, this book, newspaper literary reviews are just a part of the book world now, whereas before they were the book world. Mm -hmm. And this is kicking against that, it feels to me. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I got to say, in like the five years almost that we've been doing Book Riot, no one yeah. has ever asked me why we don't have more straight no. reviews. Like, not no. a single time, never. No, never. Um, of the over a million people who read the site every I mean, month. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, we have a million people read the month. We've done, what, 14,000 posts at this point. Um, now, that's to say we don't talk about books, of course, if you know the site at all. We do it in different ways, but that's also something um, – that when I did the pitch to you at the beginning, did I make it explicit that we weren't going to do reviews? Do you remember? I think I did, like when I first approached I you about writing for the site. I don't remember. I think someone was talking about, I think Brenna, one of our writers, was you know one of the first 10 that I recruited to come on. I think she was talking about how explicitly says we're not doing reviews. Um, for that reason, which a, one, because Goodreads was doing a lot of reviews and it felt commodified to me. But also, two, it just didn't, people don't care. And we knew from writing our own blogs that if you wrote like a straight review of something, people just didn't care. They, they just don't, like some people will read it, of course. But like compared to something you do about an opinion piece or a roundup um, or a reaction or, some, or news, like a straight review of whatever just doesn't get the eyeballs and the attention. And we use that as a yardstick for people's interest, right, for better or worse. Um, so that's another yeah. reason we're, we're sort of congenitally disinclined to love this to be. It's also really um, – I mean I know that LitHub is very overtly about literary fiction, but yeah. they're kind of making a – point to pretend that they're not with hmm. bookmarks. Like there's a section for fantasy, there's a section for romance, there's a section for a young adult. But if you click on any of these sections, which I'm doing right now, they're uh, they're, they're lies, basically. I mean, like the, the romance <laughs> section includes two works of literary fiction that happen to be written by women. Almost, liter almost literally an empty gesture. Yeah, and one of them has a, a diamond ring on the cover, so it must be a romance novel. But there are no actual romance novels here. Sort of conventionally, you know, straight down the middle of the genre romance novels. Yeah, it's women's fiction, quote unquote, is what they put. Mm -hmm. um, and for the young adult section, there's there's one book by uh, Kate DiCamillo. So, like, they're, they're, it's almost more insulting, I uh, think, that, 
that they're not just, I mean, we all know what LitHub is about, like own your- To have a kid's your, table, to, it's almost more insulting to have a kid's table. So, yeah, yeah, and the romance thing really bothered me. And this is another one of the reasons why traditional literary reviews are- going away or have gone away for the most part um, because they don't cover the books that people read. Right. (laughs) You know, romance is the biggest uh, financially, like the financially the largest section of publishing that exists. And it has, I think the Washington Post, Sarah McLean does a review section for them. And that's the only one that I've ever heard of. And that's a very recent development. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so when you build a thing based on how stuff was done five years ago, you're going to leave out genres that where a lot of the most interesting and diverse work is being done like literary fiction had a, has definitely interesting and diverse stuff yeah. happening in it but like there's both of us huge, readers of literary fiction we exactly say. like yeah. yes yes but science fiction and fantasy and romance mm-hmm. are, are going undergoing these like in bizarre and amazing to watch revolutions the most interesting parts of the book world for both of us i think i mean yes from as readers but also as people interested in the book world as you know part of our jobs um if you were, and they if you, just pretend that they don't ex- exist, which or they or, acknowledge they, they exist, but they don't put their shoulder into it. They like pay it, it kind of lip service. They say it, but don't believe it, and what the actions sort of say. And they're putting like I feel like what they're including in the category of fantasy and in category of, of romance or whatever is like crossover. Like if Station Eleven were published last month, it would be in the speculative section that they have here. Um, but they're not going to put anything from Tor. Yeah. On their website, you know, they're not going to put anything from Avon or Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they don't know what a romance novel is. Is that? Yeah, I mean. Is that ungenerous of me? I'm trying to be like nice here, even though this whole thing. Like, in well, we, I mean, Lit Hub is Electric Lit and Grove Atlantic. They're not romance people. I mean, they're just not. I mean, that's okay. That you don't. Have, there's nothing wrong with being a romance, not, not reading romance. I don't read romance and there's nothing. But I mean, there there's, is. Position yourself like okay. They're in their how to how it works section of this site. Yeah. The first line is the bookmark bookmark staff scours the most important and active outlets of literary of literary journalism in the U.S. and logs the book reviews. So when you position yourself as the place to come for important works of literary journalism, and then you completely exclude yeah all of the you know genres that people actually read, it's just it feels so snooty to me. And I know that it's not their intention. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I know some of the people who work here and I don't feel like they're they're not like awful people. It's just when you position yourself like that, you're you're doing it, al- it almost would be I mean it almost you're better off being like the Paris Review, right? Where you don't even you just are what you are. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you just it's like, yeah, that's fine, but that's not what our site is about. Right? Exactly. We, you know, that's because um, I don't read romance, but it's important to me, at least, that Book Riot covers romance. So we, you've done a great job of actively recruiting romance readers and getting them, or writers, readers uh, of cover and getting coverage on there and doing stuff. So just because you're in charge of it doesn't mean you have to care and read it. But to make space, you have to intentionally make space for it then, um, and go out of your way to populate it with the kind of content you're looking for. And so I, 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 I think that's interesting to think about in that way. It's like. It's one thing to have sort of a a bucket for that stuff, but then for that bucket to be sitting there empty is like sadder. You know, yeah, and, it is. And more depressing in a way you that just, you can't position yourself as the place to come for important important literary criticism and then exclude the genre that's like by women and for women and then pretend that you're not yeah. her aggressive site. You well, know? so could like, you do you think they could say, well, you know, this is for literary fiction? And sure. Like the site is, you know, it. the bookmarks is just for literary fiction. 
And it would have its own trouble, but it wouldn't be as sort of hand-wavy, I guess. Everything else that I've said about it would still be true. It would still be yeah. gatekeepy and whatever, but... Um, well, because yeah, there is genre sites. Like, you know, there, there, there are sites that do genre. Like, they stick to a genre or stick to, you know, a constrained area of books. And what feels like is happening is sort of a doublespeak going on. I'm sort of paraphrasing what you're saying as I'm trying to wrap my head around how they could fix it or, like, what they could do is we're about books – but not really. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, but, but if you look at what we actually <laughs> populated it for launch, it's only really about the books we actually think are important or good. Um, all these other things that exist out there are not really our domain. Um, and it's interesting because they have to make an editorial decision about what even books to look at, right? One, you know, one way around that we found, and not to say who's better, but just in terms of thinking differently how you populate your site with content – is we try to get a whole bunch of different people that are interested in a bunch of different kind of books and let them write about what they want to write about. So that actually doesn't have to come from us what the content on the site is. It has to be built into sort of the the structure of how the site works that you can get that kind of diversity. Because no no editor, I don't care what editor-in-chief you are, has sufficient knowledge and interest and care about enough genres to make a a book site sufficiently diverse to say – you're about all books, right? That everything's on the table. You have to do something where you have a whole bunch of different people giving input and selecting things for themselves. Or do something like Goodreads where it's basically crowdsourced, right? Where you just sort of let – you just sort of have this – you have a huge tent and everybody's invited and it's loud and raucous and crazy. But there's there's pretty much room for everybody there. Yeah, um, there's not room for every everybody. Yeah, there's not – and some of it is scale. Like one – I was thinking about this too. One reason Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes works for movies is there aren't that many – there aren't that many movies that come out in a given week. Mm. Um, you know, even if you go real deep, like there are what, seven or eight movies that come out in a given week. And that's even if you include some, like some of the major art house stuff and foreign films with books, it's, it's a, it's a mind bogglingly impossible problem set to try to aggregate and score reviews for. And I think even if you were just doing all literary, even if you were just doing all literary fiction, I think it would be an almost impossible task. Um, so in a way, the sort of, the an, the anal what do you what's the what's that from of anal the an, I guess the analogy they're looking for for the site Rotten Tomatoes for books kind of falls apart because books are not like movies <laughs> right just right. structurally the book world is so different than the movie world that you start then then you start to have to draw lines and the drawing that line says something and that saying something here is kind of weird at this point yeah I think the way that the only way that I would be cool with this is if they stop pretending like the literary journalism they pick is the important, like the most important literary journalism out there. Uh, Cause it's obviously not. Um, and then if I don't, if they reached out to, to more bloggers who are doing more interesting things than New York times, who are doing more interesting things than the Washington post and included their opinions. But, but those things that they would need to do are completely counter to the philosophy that they have. So, mm-hmm. so that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I guess I'll just go read some Goodreads reviews. I mean, another, another, you know, point that's come up is, um, uh, that if you look at the grades, you know, sort of the, the product of their aggregating and, it's not just aggregation, though, because they're actually making value judgments, mm-hmm. you know, about the reviews, not only in the reviews, but also what book. There's value judgments all over the place, which is, you know, that's kind of what's getting back to the SAT thing. An SAT score is supposed to make it seem objective, but it just hides all the subjectivity. That's what the grading things does. Like, it hides all the subjective decisions that go into all this crap. Um, I got I got hot and bothered and forgot where I was going, blah, 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 blah. Oh, is that 
you know, the range of grades is really clustered in the B plus and higher. Like what's yeah. the real virtue of looking at a – let's say all the other stuff we haven't talked about is uh, we're crazy social justice warriors that whatever should go jump on a pink iceberg somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, let's say all let's let's say that's true, but is it is it the value like does it mean anything to say that Modern Lovers gets an A minus where H's Frog gets an A? Like does that help me at all? Like unless there's like the lowest grade we've seen on there is speaking of uh, eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. Like so, I mean, put in, that's another one into the ghettoization or whatever we're going to call what's going on with that. Um, I, it, I guess I what is there real is there any real evaluation actually going is there are there any clothes to the emperor like it's about evaluation and aggregation and sorting and people can make a decision but like if the if the if the functional range is really B plus to A does that help me make a decision about anything I guess that's the other thing I'm coming back to it's like I just don't know it feels like unless there's real differentiation um that doesn't help me if that's the goal, is like one of the things that's supposed to help me do is decide. They even said that, have they? It's to help people decide if they want to read a book. Did they even say anything about that? I haven't heard. Yeah. I mean, the only motives that I've heard uh, or read about in interviews um, with the people from LitHub is that it's they've made this thing to make people care about literary criticism again. And the carrot is you get to see grades on books. Like that's the thing. Like, and how is that different from a Goodreads score? Like I go to Goodreads and see that a yeah. book has a 3.5. I go to LitHub and see that it has a, a B plus. Like, I guess you're supposed to trust you, the inputs more. I guess. Right. I mean, it's that's different right. because the guy at the Washington Post has written for the Washington Post, whereas the people right. who review it at Goodreads are just regular people. The right. boy that you know. And so like the only difference here is that I don't, it's just snooty. Like I keep coming back to that. It's, it's not, it's not new information. It's not interesting. It's just, and besides yeah. which, like all the people who review for these traditional outlets, they all know each other. They, yeah. They're all friends with the authors. Like, of course, all of these books have B pluses or higher. Everyone's writing reviews for each other. Like mm-hmm. it's such a closed system and they're not doing anything. You know, and I read a, a, an interview with, I don't remember his name, but the, the, the editor of Lit Hub who made this saying that like, well, this will shine a light on that, on the fact that, you know, there isn't enough critical thought in literary criticism. But you can't say that literary criticism is important and valuable and more people need to, to like bow before it. And then on the other hand, say that it's worthless because everyone is each other's best friend and all of the grades are, you know, just a result of everyone rubbing each other's backs. Like you can't yeah. have it both ways. I it's mean, either what, what useful it really, or not. It, what it really does expose, I mean, because it, I think is the question we, we keep coming back to. And then in the way the internet is sort of answered, which is what are the values of, tra- what is the value of a traditional review? Like literally what, like literally yeah. what is it? Like, I think the answer is we don't know. I, I certainly am not going to argue it doesn't have any value, but as sites like ours and Goodreads um, and, you know, something new like Litzy and Wattpad and shelf awareness and, you know, all these other places and LitHub and like, Tor and Smart Bitches Trashy Books and, you know, all, all the various places that now exist for people to read and talk about books. It just, then we say, well, it's like everyone, they're basically saying, let's all go back and like remember how, how, how important literary reviews are. But for that to be true, the premise has to be, the premise also has to be true that literary reviews are important. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I've to the point where I just don't believe that. I mean, or, or maybe they are important, but they're no more important than looking at the book's reviews on Goodreads. Like, they're no more important than that. Not to the point where you make a safe space 
for literary reviews. Like that's what this is, right? That's a, kind of what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, putting it baldly worth your cackling is uh, all the editorializing we need to do on it. Um, <laughs> it's so good. A safe space. Like – the people who live in the biggest ivory tower. <laughs> I, I know, right? The, the barbarians at the gate. We got to get back into the ivory tower to stay away from. So I guess that's what I'm coming back to. It's like, because I, what I keep coming back to, let's say it works. Like, you know what? A bunch of people are going to come to bookmarks because there's grades and they're going to click through to the Washington Post book review of um, uh, the new, what, the new uh, La Rose, right? Louis Cedric got a great score. People are reading it. They love it. Sounds like a great book. And they click through and they read the Washington Post review and they read the New York Times review and they wouldn't have done it anyway. So what? Like, so, so what? I mean, are they better? Is it help? I don't get it. I, I guess that's what I come back to. Let's say you believe all their premises, sort of walk through step by step by step by step. And you get to people reading the New York Times book review, uh, you know, on their phone or whatever. And like, and because really that's Lit Hub is saying, yes, that's what we wanted. And then you're like, okay. Why? why? Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying there isn't a value. I just don't understand what it is. Um, of all the places people can talk and find out of books, why is this one special? It does something different. I don't disagree with that. But why is this something that needs like a huge funnel of interest to point people at? That, that's the question I keep coming back to. I don't have a good answer. I don't know that there isn't one. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that there's no value. Yeah, to- I'm not either. I, I really am. Um, I, I, I know. Hmm. I mean, traditional literary reviews are useful for if you are really interested in putting a new release in the context of the greater history of literary fiction. Like, if that's a thing that you want to read about, I'm sure a review in the New York Times will scratch that itch for you. But mm-hmm. um, do you do you, do you want to read about that? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care about where La Rose fits into the greater scheme of literary fiction, and I don't, I don't know anyone who does really. But that might just be. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm well, obviously not the audience for this. Well, no, we're not the audience, audience, but I'm trying to get to a place where, like, I'm trying to articulate sort of my <clears throat> both my frustration and my sort of exasperation with this idea. Because, like, the the, the premise that seems inescapable to make something like this is that more people reading literary reviews is a good thing, like that, right? I mean, if you believe the messaging they're giving, and okay, I get, but but why? But why, why? isn't getting people to read the book the good thing? I don't know when you, when you're a hammer, you know, yeah, everything right. looks like a nail. And so I don't like there are so many <laughs> I was ranting about this to my friend mm-hmm. yesterday. Like there are so many real problems in the literary world. There are actual like literacy issues mm-hmm. where children are graduating school without knowing how to read. And they're, you know, whatever. And like yeah. the diversity and sexism and all the stuff that, that actually matter and like affect people's lives. But the fact that people don't care about what The New York Times says about Louis Erdrich's new book, is that really a problem that needs solving? Because no, because yeah. it's not. It it's, doesn't, it's it doesn't, not. well, I mean, she's maybe a bad example because she's Native. I mean, in a way, like, that. No, but you know what I mean? Like, there's no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no matter yeah. what, there's no reason other than the fact that it it's always been that way. Right. There's no reason to care about what a big traditional, like, paper of record says about yeah. a, a novel. Unless, except that, like, it's all, people have always cared. So let us continue mm-hmm. to care because of reasons because I, I guess presumably that the the thinking is clearer and more sophisticated and um your reading and intellectual it life gifts in it. <laughs> will be stimulated uh, no i'm just I'm, I'm trying to be i'm honestly trying to be serious like that it's it's a different kind of thing in your reading diet 
like, and it does something different for you than other kinds of things you could do? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, does it, it doesn't seem to me like it's trying to help people decide what to read or it's not, or it doesn't really seem to be about discoverability. Like here's a book you may not have known about, but boy, are the reviews awesome. It doesn't seem like that's what they're trying to do. Um, you know, also from a business case, I understand that sometimes you make a thing that people want so that people are there and you can sell advertising and get affiliate money or whatever, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, if there's a, a bunch of people that are interested in this, it'll succeed. Um, it just, it seems weird that the idea is more people will look at things they don't care about if we package it in this particular way. Um, now that seems to me a tough proposition. It seems to me a tough proposition. Um, because with Rotten Tomatoes, like, you can look at it at a glance. You say, oh, okay, the reviews aren't terrible, and I'll go see the movie for two hours. Mm. With this, it's like I'm going I'm going to – the reviews aren't terrible. The reviews are pretty good, so I'm going to read this book versus that book. I don't know. It seems tough. It seems tough for me. Um, anything else? We, we're going to watch it. I mean, they, they've said they're going to take input. Go check it out, lithub.com slash bookmarks. Um, See what you think. If you've got, I'd be super curious to hear what you guys are interested in. If you, there's something you're interested in, if not interested in why, what your reaction is to, are we being unfair? Uh, I'd sure like to know. We, it's been a lot. It's been it's been grist for the um, back channel fill for us, and <laughs> will be for the foreseeable future. It, it is kind of the perfect example of something for us to talk about because it's like. It's like some bizarro carnival mirror of what we do. Like it's like inverted and backwards no. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I know what you mean. It's yeah. like weird. It's, I, it's, I think about them as the anti-us. Yeah, yeah. Well, the lit hub it kind of the lit hub is more like us than not. But this really isn't like us because it's like it's just it's just packaging all the things that book blogging is a response to. I mean, my theory of book blogging has always been. That traditional reviewing didn't have room for the kind of attention and interest and titles that a lot of readers wanted to talk about. So the internet came along and we all suddenly had all the space to do what we wanted. And so it's it very much about there's not room over there, so we're going to go over here. Both from the writers and reviewers and readers, and like all, the whole thing just sort of created this whole sort of other economy of attention around books. So that for this to be kind of a, I don't know, the fortress of, uh, of the establishment – Right, like this, is um, you know it's it's a it's a real chance for us to think about some of our premises and how we think about books and reading. So I'd be our own readers who have been with us for a long time and listeners to this show and care about a lot of things we care about. I, I'd like to know what you think of it on your own, but also what we've said about it too. We better do our next spot. We've we're got we're getting <laughs> out of hand here. Um, Sorry, so I, let's let me find my next sponsor. So it's the book uh, is called "Read Me Like a Book" by Liz Kessler. And here's here's what's going on. So Ashley Walker is the protagonist, and she's a an average student with some friends, a sort of a boyfriend, and really no you know no ambition in life. And uh, she gets a new teacher, a new straight from college English teacher, Miss Murray, who takes over the class and sort of changes her life. She reads poetry. She swears. She's cool. She cares about her students. She seems to care about Ashley. And she like, you know, it's an inspiring story. Like, you know, it's kind of a dead poet society sort of thing going on. Um, but then it also coincides with Ashley's sort of realizing that she might not be hetero. Like her maybe sort of, the reason is the sort of boyfriend is maybe she doesn't like guys that much. Um, so she goes from worrying about her bad grades and her parents' marriage to having a life of her own and how it's actuated by this person. And she starts to have complicated feelings. Um, so it's about, you know, it's about a love story, it's coming of age, and it's about books in English class. So um, interesting title for us to have here. It's, it's Liz Kessler, uh, K-E-S-S-L-E-R. It's her first YA. 
Um, and she did some children's books, the Emily Winsnap series, for those of you who know that. So go check that out. Liz Kessler, Read Me Like a Book. Thanks so much for them for sponsoring the show. Okay. I guess we're going to be done with bookmarks for now. Yes, please. <laughs> you think so? We, we kind of, we kind of uh, milked that cow dry. Um, I get, you know what? Actually, I was wrong. The big book news this week, the big book news for people like us was bookmarks, but the real actual book news of the <laughs> for week. For everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was the premiere on Wednesday, I believe, of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, um, part one, and then Thursday night, uh, which is tonight, right? Today's Thursday, uh, part two. It's two parts. I don't even, I, and we'll get to this in a second. So anyway, the, the, the new Harry Potter plays are out. Um, people have seen them, real life human beings. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Are uh, you? Are yes. You I'm waiting for, I want to be the 31st. I want to read, you know, you don't get, read it. I'm going to read it. No, I'm waiting 10 years to go to London and get a ticket. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what are you yeah, right. Right. One of our contributors is going, Nikki, uh, Nikki DeBarco is going. Oh, is she really? Yeah. In, when? Uh, she has a ticket? Yeah, in December. She wow. bought a ticket like the day they went on sale. Oh, I remember she, this. I remember, yeah, we talked in to. December yeah, for New good. Year's. We'll have to get her to do a Snapchat store or something for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you read spoilers? I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna know. No, no, no. But um, so but I, I did read sort of non-spoilery reactions, I should say. And it and tell me if I'm wrong. It seems to be people liked it. Yeah. Is that what you heard? It seems to be it, that it's good. Um, there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting campaign going on that Rowling herself is spearheading, which is keep the secrets. Like the hashtag is keep the, is like don't spoil it for other people. Um, it's I, I tweeted about this yesterday. That between Hamilton and this, it's like weirdly the year of the state. <laughs> like the two it's hottest awesome. tickets in the world are play. Are, are, one's a musical and one's a play. It's so weird. Um, and also maybe because of or despite of or what, we're so or I, I'm so used to being able to sort of read, see, listen to whatever culturally is going on digitally within you know a fairly good amount of time. That this is it's such a like I'm never going to see Hamilton apparently. Like I'm just never You're, going to. No, you're not. And uh, and then this I can at least read. I mean, I guess that's a different thing. It'll come out on the 31st. You but can listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. That's like the equivalent. That, yeah, that's the equivalent. And you know, there probably eventually will be one of those recorded stage things or what, there'll be a tour that I'll have to pay $1,000 and subscribe to the Portland Art Center's bullcrap, whatever, to get. Um, but like it's it's in, a, in an age of like cultural abundance, it's so interesting that the two things that are like most – desired are so scarce, like are literally scarce. Like they have physical <laughs> scarcity that's going on around them. I love it. You, you're a stage, you're, 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 you're an old theater kid. So I'm you a like theater this. kid from way back when. So this, this makes me really happy. I don't understand. Like I, I tried to um, look up why Rowling did this or I never say it right. Rowling did this it's as rolling. a play and I, I couldn't find She it. said at one point earlier, I know Rebecca and I talked about, she said there's reasons to do it this way. Uh, which we just don't get to know. We what just they don't. Are. Or I guess she said. I think she said at one point, "You'll know when when you see the play, you'll understand why it's a play," which makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, come on, J.K. Uh, may, maybe unless everyone gets on stage at the end to get. I mean, I I, I literally don't want what could happen in a theater that couldn't be represented some other way. The other thing that happened is the the creative team behind this came to her, and she even said that it wouldn't have happened if it weren't these people at this time. So there's a weird confluence of events. Um. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this, not ad nauseum, but at least to add um, queasiness. Uh, w- w- just w- there's something that well, just another book. <laughs> just give us why isn't just a book? Like it's going to be a printed screen uh, uh, stage play that 
everyone's going to buy anyway. Like yes. 99% of the people who ever read this or experience the story will read it in that form rather than go see the play. Maybe she would have wanted to do, maybe, she, I mean, sometimes it's as easy as she just wanted to do this. You know? Sure. Why does Tom Hanks do a play every now and again at Broadway? Like, just because he wants to, I guess. Um, yeah, she can do what she wants. She can, she can do what she wants. She's busy. Well, she can't write the books because she's r- busy writing this Fantastic Beats trilogy, which I'm super nervous about. Not and I just do not want in like so many ways, um, which we've talked about before. Uh, you know, now that now I'm talking about this, is there anything else to say about this, I guess? Uh, well, the only other thing seen? that's been in the like bookish kind of news is that Hermione, growing up Hermione, is played by a black actress. Right. And she's married to Ron and their child obviously is mixed race mm-hmm. and is not a redhead, which like infuriated corners of the Internet. Man, I tell you what. That is, it is, it is crazy that people get so bent out of, I, I I mean, I don't care if it said she was alabaster, an albino, I don't care if the book said she was an albino, (laughs) right? If, it doesn't matter, whatever. I mean, I just, I can't care. Yeah, we wrote, uh, one of our contributors who is black wrote a response to kind of the outrage that was really great. And um, JK retweeted it, which she was nice. She did. We had but, a nice moment yesterday. Yeah, yeah, but when she did that, a bunch of crazy racists came yeah. out of woodwork to yell at us about it on Twitter. So I had a fun day playing whack-a-mole with that. But like, I had the same reaction. Like, is this a thing people really care about? How could you possibly, like, imagine caring? Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I keep coming person. back to is like, wow, yeah. Like what is your life? Uh, it just seems so crazy. I mean, even the even the sort of watered down whack jobs that are like, well, it's there's this part that says she blushes, which means like even if there that's what I'm saying, even if there was contextual textual evidence that she was, uh, you know, the, the, the Scarlett Johansson. I don't yes. even know <laughs> who can. So what? It just it just doesn't matter. the virtues of race bending the casting so outweigh. Whatever weird racist attachment you have to something that might have been said, just I can't even think about. It. I can't. It just I am exasperated and confounded every time I try to make sense out of it. Well, there was like the overtly horrible racist response to it that we got, and yeah. then there there was the the more I feel like the more insidious and creepy and scary were the people who were like, well, it's not that I'm racist and mm-hmm. I don't care if she's black. I just want her to be that, white. It's just that in my head, <laughs> yeah. when I read the book, she was white. And in the movies, she's white. So why change it? Because right. Emma Watson... It's, what's the, what they don't understand her. is they're giving you the reasons to change it. They think yeah. they're giving you reasons not to change it, but those are actually all reasons to change it. And I can't understand how you can say those words with your mouth hole yeah. and not understand that you are being racist like you are straight up racist if you cannot if it hurts your interview if it hurts your heart to take a character who you've seen on stage or on a screen played by a white actress played by someone with more melatonin or whatever the Mm -hmm. word is in their skin you are a racist like that's just it i was trying to think think your reason i I was talking to my brother or something we were talking about this and got onto like a the thought experiment like is there some literary character or fictional character that you that you, for some, that you would have an adverse reaction, like if uh, I don't know, Luke Skywalker was Asian or something. Like awesome. what? Like that all seems cool to me. Like I, I can't come up with one where like, oh man, I, my inner being is is destroyed. Like I just can't. 
So I, I don't know. I, it's it's very hard well, for me to. Well, you got all mad when Scarlett Johansson was cast in Ghost in the Shell. Well, okay. You don't know what you're talking about. Reverse that's, racism yeah, isn't yeah, real. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's not so real. anyway, I mean, that's, I guess, unf- I mean, I'm super glad. I, I don't know if it's fortunate or not that there's attention being brought to it. I guess it's just is. It's not good or bad. Um, but I'm super thrilled for the people that feel affirmed and represented. Um, I think it's an interesting choice and as a audience member I'm like cool let's see what how it doesn't matter I mean I don't I doubt any racial element will be brought up it just so happens that this character is the the actress and the actress I guess the two actresses are black um and like the people who are you know the why didn't they just cast the best actress why does she have to be black like those two things are mutually exclusive right like this wasn't the best act That's, and this act Noma Dumas I did see she got unbelievable notices for their performance and this. she has she's like award winning and yeah, she's yeah, you know yeah. this really well known actress of stage and yeah. well why didn't they just pick the best <laughs> yeah I, 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 I honestly I can't even there's no generous interesting reading that I can even my um, my uh, my normal reaction of like to try to think of it from a different perspective. It just I'm completely at a loss to try to deal with that. Um, so that yeah. So are you, so you read the spoilers. You're going to read the the thing too. Are you a July 31st buyer? I think I am. I think I'm going to. I haven't. That. I don't. Know. Oh really? I'm super. I, inter- I, I'm I mean, surprised. I will. I will read it. I just no, no, know. no. You're not a day one. No pre order. Nah. I think I might have pre ordered it actually. I can't I, remember. Now. I maybe I'll get on the library hold list. Yeah, uh, that's is that the biggest library hold list of all time? It's quite possible. I mean, what even? I mean, for a while, Girl on the Train at the Brooklyn Public Library was a disaster. So was Between the World and Me. I've never really seen one of these. I bet when the last Harry Potter book came out, that must have been a complete mess. I'm sure they ordered. Okay, I'm looking at my library now. There are only 34 holds. Holds? That's not bad for a small, you know, Richmond County. Yeah. It's not terrible. What what do you know? Like what number have you seen before that's higher? Like have you seen a hundred on a hold list for something before? About no for Girl on the Train, yeah. there was about forty when I went to go read yeah. it. Um, when I so. checked Girl on the Train out, which I never finished because it was right during the move, um, I think when I got on the hold list for that, there was like four hundred and eighty people on the hold <laughs> list for the Brooklyn Public Library. The Coats was worse because I think there were more. There were fewer copies initially, and they eventually got some more between the world and me. I never did get that. <laughs> I'm still on the hold list for it. Um, I did an audio, but I wanted you to read it. You haven't read between no, the world. No, no, I, I listened. I, I heard it. I did the audio, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to read it in print. I'm just going to go buy it. Should I just have it? But uh, yeah, I, I guess I would. I, if any of you out there had were on a library hold list for Deathly Hallows, that's got to be it, right? The 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 most held book of all time. That's uh, a good. I wish I knew. I wish I could have way to know that. Um, maybe that girl on the train. Yeah, it didn't sell like that though, did it? Anyway, it, that's coming out. So I don't. Maybe people don't know that July thirty first, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the stage play, um, will be printed. Presumably, I mean, this shows in previews, which you know, in normal theater world means it, it's up for emendation, like they change things around. Some that thing's got to go to print soon. Um, so it's going to lock. So it'll be interesting if there's some, you know, slippage between what gets performed, what's in the the book, how things play out. Kind of like the old days of uh, like Shakespeare folios and things like that where there's different versions and whatever. Um, kind of interesting to see there. Um, let's do our last sponsor and we'll wrap up with a couple of stories here. Um, book of the Month. So here's the deal with Book of the Month. But it's, it, is the, it is the, you know, it's funny. People think Book of the Month is just sort of like, a, I don't know, 
a saying, but it's actually a company. It's been around for a million, a million, a long time, like over ninety years. Um, and it was it, there's a, we a lot of talk about now like book subscription service. It was the books. It was a huge deal. So it still exists. And if you're an avid reader, you know there's nothing better than reading a great book. And there's also something really cool about picking up and loving something that you maybe wouldn't pick up on your own. It's a new surprise, opens your horizons, all those good sort of feelings you have about reading something that um, feels new and and fresh to you. Book of the Month is a subscription box that keeps your reading life adventurous. Each month you'll choose from five powerful, immersive new books you might not have heard of otherwise. So – you sub- sign up for a subscription, and then every month you get to choose one of their five picks. And they have judges. One of them is their own Liberty Hardy. And so they've each picked a book and explained what they think is great about it. And then your subscription, you say, okay, I want that one. I want that one. Comes to you, um, and you get it right there. June Selections, Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. We just talked about this. Shrill by Lindy West. Um, Enchanted Islands by Alison Amend. Before the Fall by Noah Hawley. And v- Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel. Um, uh, Modern Lovers is... Uh, picked by Morgan Jenkins, who once wrote for us. Uh, Roxanne Gay, which one's hers is Veins of the Ocean, I believe, by Patricia Engel. Um, Enchanted Islands by Alison Amend was Alexander Chee's pick. He wrote Queen of the Night. We've talked about him before, one of our favorite authors. Um, and here's what you do. You can go to Book of the Month Club, oh, excuse me, it's not Book of the Month Club.com. It's Book of the Month.com. And just for the listeners, you can use the code June Riot, no spaces. For 30% off a three-month membership, right? So that's bookofthemonth.com. Go pick it up. You can get one of those books for 30% off. Um, and you, the other thing that we ha- I don't think we've mentioned before, you can add additional books to your box of those picks for just $9.99 each. And shipping is always free. So there's one of those ones you want. It's cheaper than getting a new hardcover from Amazon to do it this way. So a really cool way to keep sort of the, the rhythm of interesting books coming into your life, um, especially if you're, you know, willing to read outside your comfort zone. Maybe you're not hearing about books you like that much, but these are people who live in the book world. I know for a fact they all have excellent taste this month, especially. Um, they pick really interesting people over there, bookofthemonth.com. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show. I got a little game for you. Okay. A little game. So <laughs> I've always, I think Rebecca and I have one. Hold on one second. I got to get my – I got a piece of paper over here just to uh, vamp something for 10 seconds. <laughs> What am I supposed to do right now? Yeah, you did it. That uh, was it. That was it. Oh, okay. So uh, Rebecca and I talk. I, you may have heard us talk about this before. We always, you know, uh, there was an independent bookstore day that happens mm-hmm. every year, and I think we we were idly speculating as you know as our want. I mean, that's our let's talk about being on brand. Um, idly speculating about things we don't know much about. About <laughs> you know what what is the net effect of independent bookstore day? Um, what you know what does it do for the the authors? Like, does it what kind of effect does it has? Publishers Weekly they did some surveys of uh, independent bookstores based on their traffic. And what was going on that day? And they, we got some numbers. So I, I, I'm going to play a little game with you, Amanda. Rebecca's not here for me to torture. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, let's see. How many? They gave away bookmarks. All the stores gave away bookmarks. How many bookmarks do you think they gave away? All the stores together. All the independent bookstores. Yeah, there were 300 and oh, excuse me, 430 participating stores. Oh, um, ten thousand. Uh. 375,000 bookmarks. Given. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was, I thought that was a big number. Yeah. Um, they had a special only available that day at Independent Bookstore Days, Neil Gaiman Coloring Book. Um, they said they, they – how what percentage of the total number of copies did they sell that they oh, had available? 75. 84%. Not bad. Not bad. Um, let's see. There's another, I would have bought that if I knew that existed. Yeah, yeah. I, they didn't – 
I, I didn't hear anything. About I that. only knew that because I do this for a living. Like I do critical. Like I have a bunch of stuff to find news. Like I, I, I it was. I didn't think it was very well publicized. I have to say. Um, let's see. Relative to an average Saturday in April, what percentage of participating stores said they got more business because of the bookstore day? Oh, um, 90? 94%. Very good. Um, and here, what percent of normal April Saturday sales did participating stores get? So 100% would be they did the same oh. as on the average. So like what, what increase do you think they did? Uh, 50%. 100%. Wow. So uh, 200%. So they did twice their normal business. Good job, any bookstores. So so I guess, so would you say that sounds success to me? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much it costs ABA to put this together. Um, I think think 98% of stores plan to participate again in 2017. Um, 70% of stores said they actually got more business this year for Independent Bookstore Day than they did last year. So that's something I never thought I would get answers to. I mean, they're not telling us number. I mean, they're mm-hmm. t- these are all, only all relative numbers besides the number of bookmarks and mm-hmm. participating stores. Like, we're not actually getting any sales data. Um, but I never even thought I would get that much. So actually, someone's paying attention and trying to figure out if it's worth doing. seems like if you're doing double your business um, for an April Saturday, that seems pretty good uh, on the whole. All right. You want to do you want to wrap up any other stories? Are we done? It feels like we might be done. I think yeah. I I loosed all my steam. Yeah, out I feel like I poor, shot all my shot all my bullets. My gun's empty here a little <laughs> Sorry, bit. Sorry guys. No, that's okay. We wrapped up with a little one. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for Amanda for being on the show this week. You can listen. Um, or you can find show notes to this uh, and other back episodes of the Book Riot podcast. bookriot.com slash listen. What you'll see there is a list of all of our podcasts. Um, all of the different series we have, you click on ours and you can navigate to the one that's there. We'd certainly like to hear what you think about bookmarks and LitHub. I think that's really interesting from our readers and listeners' perspective. If you've got a different perspective on it, something we didn't say or forgot about or got wrong, please email us at podcast at bookriot.com. Also, we're looking for your favorite books that you've read this year. Doesn't have to be back, uh, doesn't have to be front list, doesn't have to be new, doesn't have to be nonfiction, doesn't have to be fiction. You can give us a couple. Um, let us know that podcast at bookride.com or leave a comment on the show notes. Also, just real quick, um, we have Walter Mosley coming to Book Riot Live. Um, that's a new announcement, I think, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And we're extending early bird pricing to Book Riot Live. You can still get the discount there. We are sold out of the strand, but working on some other stuff. But you can still get a water bottle and a nice discount on a full weekend pass. Go to bookriotlive.com. Amanda's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Um, you can come see and laugh at us and point and smirk and mock um, or or give us an old chuckle. We're very mockable. Very mockable. Um, eminently mockable. Uh, that's it. You can find Amanda. She's on Twitter. I'm Amanda Nelson. You can find me on Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Mm-hmm.